Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about getting lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Feeling lucky, punk? (laughs) We needed to have some fun today, didn't we? Yes, exactly. Uh, So the the jumping off point for this episode is um, sort of a definition of luck and, and our feelings about it. And the story that we were just talking about before we pressed record was that when people join my mailing list, um, they get a question, you know, what would, what would success look like for your business? And, you know, just shoot me back a a one line reply. And probably 80% of the people will reply with something like, you know, success for my business would be working with great clients who value what I do uh, who give me lots of autonomy and, and don't micromanage me. And it, it's all about, it's all about this sort of dream, dream scenario where, you know, that, that would, and that would feel like success to them. Mm-hmm. And I, I get tons and tons of these and I'll reply and I'll say, Oh, okay. What kind of clients? And they'll, and a lot of times I'll get like, what do you mean? The kinds I just told you, the kinds that value what I do. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, what kind of clients would value what you do the most? Or, you know, and I, I challenge them to go a little bit deeper in defining what kind of clients. And it's, it's pretty hard for most people. So I'll say something like, um, you know, if, if you could just pick, if you could just wave a magic wand and be working with your top 20 dream clients, what, what names would be on that list? What companies would be on that list? And it, it depends on what kind of business they have, but a lot of times it's companies, sometimes it's individuals. You know, they might say, oh, Tony Robbins and, and you know, I don't know, Tim Ferriss, or, or they might say Nike, Apple, SpaceX. Mm-hmm. And if, but it's usually the companies. I'll usually say a list of companies that either have some sort of alignment with their mission, like Patagonia, or someone who really invests heavily in design, like Apple or Tesla. And, and I'll say, okay, great. You know, there's Apple, Tesla, SpaceX, you know, Lululemon, whatever on down the list. And I go, okay, what job title at that company is most likely to hire someone who does what you do? You know, Mm -hmm. is it, is it the CMO? Is it the CEO? Is it a, you know, director of IT? Like who would it be? And they'll say, oh, well, my past clients is usually like a director of IT or something like that. I'm like, okay, let's go to LinkedIn. You know, I'll tell them to do this. Over, this is back and forth over email. So go to LinkedIn, find, search for director of IT, SpaceX or Tesla or Apple or one of your dream companies and, and connect with that person. Like go do it, right? So like mm-hmm. decide who you, who are these better clients that you're dreaming about working with someday. And, and the reason I bring it up in the context of this episode is that... My personal view, let's limit limiting things to business and not like accident of birth and geography and genes and everything. If we just limit it to business, I feel really strongly that you can make your luck. You can create, or the way I usually say it is you can increase your luck surface area, meaning you can, you can do things, you can do the work, put it, put in the effort to make it much more likely that you're going to attract the right kind of opportunities. And then when they come along, that you can land them yes. versus just hoping and you know like hope is not a strategy right so like just mm-hmm. hoping like someday someone is going to come along and pluck you out of obscurity like nike is probably not going to you know come up and just pluck you you know let's say you do ux <laughs> like oh i was you know like like the cmo of nike it was just like browsing around your portfolio and fell in love with your work no i mean maybe 
But I feel like the odds be a lot better if you were, you know, for example, had some sort of laser focused positioning that would be very attractive to that particular person in that particular role. And you spoke to it in your bio, so on and so forth. So, mm-hmm. um, so I love the exercise of, of sort of demystifying or de, I feel like removing the magical thinking from like, well, so, you know, I'd like to work with dream clients. That's basically what they say. I, oh, I'd, my success yeah. for my business would be having a bunch of dream clients. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. who are they? And like, um, I never thought about that. So, yeah. uh, yeah. So we were talking about, we were talking about meeting luck, at least meeting luck halfway, if such a thing exists. Well, I love that quote. It's from some dead prior president, I think, <laughs> which is luck is hard work meets opportunity. Right. And mm-hmm. you need both. I mean, I guess some people get like just the luck of the draw or the lightning strike, but most situations it's hard work and opportunity. Mm-hmm. Or as somebody else said, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. 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 It rem- it's similar to, uh, it's similar to like the muse, you know, like writing um, writer's block and it's like, oh, I don't know what to write. It's like, well, have you been writing? No, I don't know what to write. It's like, well, just write. Yeah. And the muse will meet you halfway. If you show up and do your part, the muse will eventually arrive. But, yeah. you know, it's sort of like, look, if you if you do all this preparation and you know, you know what you want, you know who you want to work with, you know what kind of work you want to do. It's very, very clearly defined to you. And you're projecting that into the world. You're probably you're much more likely to attract the kind of people who you want to attract if you know who you're trying to attract. You know, the, the story that comes to mind with this is is one that Tim Grawl tells in one of his books. And it was early on because Tim Grawl, for those of you who don't know him, is he's kind of like the book lunch guy. Mm-hmm. And um, he's got a lot of authors in his circle. And he's worked with some big names, uh, Dan Pink, uh, Ramit Sethi. Um, I think he did a press field book, didn't he? Maybe not. I I'm not sure. Sh- well, he might have because he and, and Sean Coyne have done some things together. Right, so it's possible right. he did. But some other big names in, in our kind of space. Um, and so, you know, people ask him, gee, you know, how did you do that? And he was a, a basically a web guy in a small town in, I think, Virginia. And before he got as big as he is now. And he had done some authors. But what he did was he bought a ticket to South by Southwest And he said, that's where my people are going to be. And then like a month ahead of time, he got a list of all the people who were going to be attending. Mm -hmm. And he went through the list and did the research because you can't tell just by looking at somebody's name, whether or not they're an author. He went through, he figured out who he really wanted to meet with. He reached out to them ahead of time and he set up appointments. And he said that when he was there, literally like from dawn to 11 o'clock at night, he had meetings. Mm-hmm. And he walked out of that whole conference with, I think it was two contracts, but a bunch of budding relationships. And he was, he's like, I, I didn't know how I was going to do this, but I just decided I was going to do that. That was hard work meeting opportunity. Mm-hmm. I've got a very similar story. One of, one of my students was uh, going to a conference, you know, planning to go to a conference, um, not even speaking at it, just going to it. And she was like, how can I maximize all of this time and money I'm investing to go to this conference? And I was like, "Um, in advance, get a list of all the speakers and contact them before you go and see if you can interview them. Just ask them if they, you know, you could interview them for, she had a podcast and she also uh, has a column and, you know, for a, for a publication that she doesn't own. And uh, yeah. And so she met with like, I don't know, like 10 or 20 pretty famous people in this incredibly small Mm -hmm. niche 
and and was just sending out proposals one after like three a week after that. I mean, it was like, even, even though that wasn't, it wasn't even about meeting to maybe work together. It was just to interview them. And of course they're like, well, what do you do? And she has super laser focused positioning. And so they're like, oh, wow, we could probably use, you know, it's just like a Mm -hmm. sort of boy, lucky. Imagine that, you know? (laughs) But the other part is the way that you describe that is she designed it so they would say yes. Who's not going to say yes? You're at that conference doing a speech. You've already spent the the time to get there. Somebody wants to interview you and leverage what you just did. Right. Sign me up, right? Of course, yes. I, I bet everybody said said yes, but she I'm didn't sure. have a single no. No, I mean I've spoken at tons of conferences, and literally every time someone's like, "Hey, could, you know, can we go up to the suite?" and I just will we'll do a video interview for our show, I'd be like. <laughs> What am I going to say? No, of course I'm going to say yes. The whole reason <laughs> yeah. I'm there is to like, like get the most sort of marketing juice out of it as I can. So yeah, hundred percent. It's like a great, it's, it's a great move and you get a bunch of good podcasts or articles out of it. So yeah. it's, it's so win-win. But anyway, that's a, that's an example of like creating your own luck. You know, it's like get specific about what kind of luck you're, you want mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and like, all right, let's see if we can, uh, Put, connect the dots here. It's funny. Now I'm just reminded of another anecdote. So this is going way back. So, if, you know, apologies to anybody in the 30 or younger in the audience, but there used to be a thing called radio and <laughs> there was, there was no thing called the internet. And I was in a rock band and we had like a, like a 45, like, <laughs> oh I, my goodness. Even, I know yeah. it's like a, a, Love a, it. a, a, an album, a record album, a piece of plastic, not a CD, <laughs> but like, <laughs> It was a it was a forty five. We had you know one song on each side, and we wanted to get it on the radio. So that was the only way to distribute music. It was the only way mm-hmm. to you know to distribute a recording. And we were like, oh, you know, and we would go to Kinkos and print up these flyers, and we'd be having a show, and you know, and trying to get people to come to the show. But you know, of course, we wanted audience members at the show. But who we really wanted were the DJs from the local radio station. So we're putting flyers all over the city. And then one day it occurs to me, why are we putting flyers all over the city when the, the people we really want to come are the DJs? So let's just flyer the heck out of every telephone pole around BCN and be done with it. You know, mm-hmm. like we could print up like we never did this, but we could print up like 10 amazing like full color posters instead of 10,000 Xerox eight, eight yeah. by 11 pieces of paper, make it look like we were hot stuff from out of town or something. And maybe get the attention of the DJs. We'd only have to, you know, do like four of them, like the four streets around the area. <laughs> right. It's like, who are we really trying to impress? And I think I had that idea because the drummer in the band who had the most business sense out of any of us, um, you know, the the other, the rest of us were all arguing about what, what could we do that would get the attention of a DJ. And he picked up his phone and he called the radio station. He's like, can I talk to one of the DJs? <laughs> Just ask. <laughs> Instead of us, we had been debating it for like 45 minutes. Like, no, this, of we, sh- we should tape us, we should tape a, a single to the inside of a box of pizza and they open it. They'll be like, wow, there's a record in here. And he's like rolling his eyes. He's like, just calls the radio station. And he didn't get an answer. But the, but the point was, we were sitting there like, like basically having a pubescent fantasy about like what was, you know, how we were going to become famous. And he was like, well, let's just ask. We know who we're trying to get in touch with. And there if we go. had, yeah. And looking back on it now, that would have been, you know, and we, we never like followed through on that. We went back to fantasizing about being on MTV, but, you know, it's <laughs> the exact same kind of thing. 
And that drummer is now Mark mm. Cuban. <laughs> <laughs> His name is Mark. That'd be a great end to the story, though. Yeah, wouldn't it? <laughs> cool. Okay, so what kinds of things, What kinds? how do you make your own luck? Like, how do you, you know, how do you do it? Yeah, I mean, it feels like, you know, the beginning, and this sounds so 101 or 0.01, is you got to know what you want. Mm-hmm. And that's what I found so interesting about your story with people on your list is that they wanted a dream client, but they hadn't really thought about, well, what does that mean? What's the dream? Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's the first thing. It's like, what's the dream? And then there's like the big picture dream, which might be, oh, I live in New York in a fantasy apartment and I do all this, or it could be I live on a farm somewhere and I'm raising a bunch of kids. You know, it's 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 the big dream, but then what's... What's the shorter dream? What's the smaller dream that's going to get you to that? Who do you want to work with? What do you want to be doing? And I think until we do that and get really, really clear, luck is murkier. Yes. Or opportunity, I should say. It's murkier because it's not as easy to connect the dots for you or for anybody else. Right. And it's the for anybody else piece that is, is the crippling part because you're you're by not, by, you know, by being a wandering generality, as Seth Godin says... No one can help you. Like lots of people in your life probably want, would love to help you. Mm-hmm. A lot people love being matchmakers. They love it. Tons of people just get the the biggest kick out of like connecting two people that they know and like and like genius happening or like mutual profit yes. happening. However you want yes. it, to, however you want it to work or whatever whatever you want to call it. And you know, love blossoming. Um, but if they don't know what you do, and and ask yourself this, dear listener, like if you're spouse or parent or child could they tell someone else what you do <laughs> exactly. I, I, was, I know my yeah. husband still trips over it sometimes <laughs> mm, right so i was actually we, we had a, a family getaway um, most years we do this like family getaway thing and i overheard my 11 year old talking to his cousins and one of the other cousins asked what what does your dad do because <laughs> like, from the outside it's unclear it looks like it looks like i just don't do anything and uh and he and he was like he was like it's something to do with pricing and business he's like a business coach for something to do with pricing and i was like wow that's pretty right good right on yeah 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 uh, that's close enough for me so i was mm-hmm. like geez that but you know could you dear listener could you could someone in your family describe to someone else what it is that you do or who you help or what kind of problem that you solve, you know, could they say what expensive problem you address? If they can, that's really good because they can advocate for you. They're like a, they're like a a free outside sales force. And as they bounce around the internet or the world, they, they can potentially match make you with the kind of people you want to, uh, you want to meet. It's a very personal form of leverage. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I was I was thinking just um, in our little neighborhood, um, one of the women um, just published a book not too long ago and was trying to figure out how to do some things. And so um, she's one of my husband's pool buddies, so he connected us, <laughs> right? And then last night we had a, a couple over to dinner and I've helped him think through some of his business stuff and they asked me about the book. And so I told them, they're like, we want to read it. And mm. you know what? We have some friends who would like to read it. And, you know, he's not really the target for the book, but it was just, it was so thoughtful and he genuinely wanted to help. 
It's like that's what you get the clearer you are in, yes. in a very small way like that and then multiplied when you're doing it digitally. Right. Yeah. Like word of mouth is is like incredible. Like the, the mm -hmm. ability for, for word to spread uh, is just amazing. If, if the person, if your friend or your contact understands who you're trying to meet, like understands the value proposition or just understand, like it's clear, there's clarity. Yes. Like we're in my, in one of my, uh, my group coaching Slack, people will say like, oh, I finally, you know, like I, I finally published the podcast. Like everyone's like, yay, you know, the first three episodes are up. It's a big milestone. And, and they're like, you know, if anybody, you know, if anybody, if you wouldn't mind and you think the show's good or whatever, if you could tweet about it or share it on social media, that'd be amazing. And I always ask the same question. I'm like, who's it for? Like, who's the mm, ideal yeah. person? Because I can't, I, I don't know what to write unless I know who the the podcaster in this case is trying to reach and if it's not obvious if it's not obvious from the name of the show or from the description of the show and i've got a different problem but um usually uh, when somebody wants to share something i you at the beginning i want to say hey people this is for and everyone else can ignore it yes it, you know i feel like it's yeah. a courtesy you know, I've like, whatever, I haven't got the Twitter following you have, but you know, there's whatever, 12, 11,000 people. And there's a mix of people. If this particular show is for Kubernetes DevOps people, I don't want to mm -hmm. bother this. I don't want to say, hey, everybody that's following everybody, me, go listen right. to this podcast, CPAs. Right. It doesn't make sense. So I, yeah. as a courtesy in that scenario, because I'm, I'm the matchmaker in this scenario, I, as a courtesy to the people who uh, have sort of gifted me with their attention if you will i i want to do them the courtesy of being like look if you're not if you don't know what the word kubernetes means this is not for not you for but you, you are, <laughs> right? yeah so it's uh, it's what you just described is i think of that as a thoughtful matchmaker yeah. and that's what we want to be and what we hope to receive from the people matchmaking us because you know think about it there are people who like to connect people but they don't like to think about it like i just had somebody recently connect me with someone who is the worst possible connection for me <laughs> like the worst and he kept pushing and so I finally, like, I, it, I was trying to be gracious because it's someone that I know personally and um, quite well, actually. And so I wound up writing this other person an email. But it, it really, it kind of annoyed me. I was like, mm. no, I don't want an, I don't, I don't really don't want an introduction in this case. So it's, mm. you, you want to do it from a very generous place versus, oh, you do Kubernetes and you do Kubernetes, meet talk amongst <laughs> yourselves right? right sometimes that makes sense but you always want to be generous about it and thoughtful yeah mm -hmm. yeah because it's like time and attention or you know they don't come back they're non-renewable resource so you, you do want to be um the opposite of spammy about it you know like as far from spammy as possible like as thoughtful as possible you know as as is appropriate for the circumstance well, I think so, the other thing is we have like lots of introverts and extroverts and a mm -hmm. lot of extroverts are like, I want to meet everybody, send them over, send them over, send them over. And an introvert is going to say, okay, I just, I can only handle so much of this, especially if it's kind of something that requires a high level of interaction, mm. like in person. So it's, yeah, it's being thoughtful about both parties and, and making it really valuable for the people mm -hmm. you're connecting. Yep. So it comes back to giving the matchmaker the tools to connect you with the appropriate people so like who are the relevant people you know what what uh, yes what is the i don't want to use like 
jargon, but it's like, how is this thing positioned? So like the book, I always say about books, books will have a, have this tendency to give you a de facto positioning. So like if someone is just a generalist, but they write a book, the book is always going to be about something really specific. Otherwise it would be too long. So Mm -hmm. almost always it's very specific and there's a very specific kind of reader. Um, hopefully almost always, hopefully though. Um, and, and it makes it easy. Like you said about the book, it makes it easy to describe what the book, who the book is for and what the promise of the book is. So like the ideal reader is someone like this and the promise of the book is that and it's so it's so um fixed it's so it's so done it's like it's like that's what the book is the book isn't gonna like ooze around and be try to be everything for everyone it's too late it's written that those are the words and that's it so it's really um i don't want to say easy but it's it's sort of easier to for, for people to be like to know when to recommend it i guess is what i'm trying to say so like because the book is really really it, it's almost for sure that if someone is a generalist but they write a book it's almost for sure that the book has a way better positioning than their business does mm-hmm. so the Let's book hope so. yeah 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 it, it's not always true but it's almost always true if, if your book is a generalist too then wow watch out <laughs> sorry <laughs> next one will be good Um, Exactly. They got that one out of their system. Now it's time for the second one. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So if we tie this back to the overall theme, the, you know, knowing the dream, knowing what you want, knowing what you want to be when you grow up, all of these things, the big, big, big picture stuff, what, what rough direction are you going to go? Do you want to live on a farm or do you want to live in, you know, Manhattan, big picture stuff like that. And then like, okay, what's the, you know, what's the 10 year plan? What's the three-year plan? Like, well, what do these things all align in being really self-aware about those things? And then when it gets down to the stuff that's not just based on your personal values and desires, so like your business stuff, especially if you're in the service business, you need to intersect with the clients, the market, the buyer. Mm-hmm. And if you you want to get really, really clear about that and how you can help them, who who is it and what is the promise? You know, who is the ideal buyer? What is it that you can make better for them? What is the transformation that you provide for your clients? And if you can get super clear about that, it, it just, it's like, it does feel like magic. It feels like yeah. the luck, the luck piece feels magic at that point because you start getting introductions out of nowhere and you're like, wow, like my blog is actually, people are actually reading it now or people are actually listening to the podcast and emailing me about it it's like wow i've been doing this for so long but now why is it working it's working because you got more focused and clear about what you want and who the podcast or book or blog is for and what the promise is and now all of a sudden it can spread it's that clarity and it's Mm -hmm. you know and when we first start businesses we're not always that clear you know, it starts to, you know, like binoculars, you know, you kind of keep focusing and focusing and yeah, focusing. in, out, in, out. Yeah. yeah. And that's normal. We all do that at mm-hmm. different points in, in our business. But when you get that clarity, it does feel like magic because all of a sudden there's a clear line of sight for your people to find you. Yeah. Right. It's in focus. Mm-hmm. So the, so the next piece, so I, I feel like, I feel like we're kind of in an inbound, we're kind of in an inbound mode here where the clarity will attract the right people to you. But, uh, I did touch on it earlier. There's this outbound thing where you can kind of take control of fate and say, okay, yes. you know, like the DJ thing, or, you know, I, I want to work, 
I want to do design work for uh, the Tesla marketing department. I, I just, that's like my dream. Let's just say that's my dream client, Tesla marketing. Department. That's all I care about. And you put all of your resources into, uh, you know, for a period of time, finding out who the decision makers are, researching the company, going through their history. I don't know, designing mm -hmm. a, a fake campaign. And I'm not talking about pitching or anything. I'm talking about like really getting to know uh, however you can, sort of by hook or by crook, to figure out what it is that they want and how you fit into that picture. Is there something that you could give the buyer at Tesla that they want? What is the thing that they want? And is there some way for you to give it to them? So you can get really proactive if you know what you want and who you want to work with, to, even to go so far as changing what you do or mm -hmm. uh, adding a skill or hiring right. someone to fill a gap. Like we talked about, uh, I think it was on this show, we talked to David Fields about fishing where the fish are. Yeah. And he, he had an anecdote about, uh, I think it was two software guys that had a startup and they thought it was going to be a particular thing. And they got into that, you know, they had contact with the market and they discovered a much bigger opportunity, but neither one of them was qualified to actually do it. Mm. So they chucked their original idea and they learned how to do it. You know, so for the, you know, for the audience, let's just say this isn't what it was, but let's say they were web developers and they came across a, a niche market inside of the pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical industry where they desperately needed HIPAA compliant iOS apps. So they said, okay, we don't know how to build iOS apps, but we can learn in six weeks or something, at least get functional. Mm -hmm. And if they know the business case and they understand the, the model of the business and what the, and the magnitude of the opportunity for the pharmaceutical companies. I'm completely making this all up, but they <laughs> like it. But, but they were like, the fish are over here and these are big fish and they want this thing that they cannot find for some reason. Well, we'll just mold ourselves into that. And that's a perfectly valid. I think it's a perfectly valid way to go. Um, so, you know, outside it, in. Yeah. It's, getting, that's how I think about it. You're looking out, you're seeing a problem and you're saying, that's the problem I'm going to solve. So let's figure out how we twist ourselves to make, to be able to do that and deliver right. on our promise. Right. And I just want a little caveat here. I'm not saying you should like just jump after every opportunity you find or um, violate your values and work by working with some company that you wouldn't normally work with or learning some technology that you absolutely despise or don't care about. But, you know, if there is an overlap there, like I, if you'd love to learn Swift or whatever, then well, cool. Okay. That goes to me, that goes back to the dream. I mean, we're talking about a story that I just barely remember. But um, mm. when, when you go back to the dream, those two guys probably had a dream that was about creating a business that mm -hmm. that achieved a certain revenue level. I'm guessing yes. that was their focus. Because if mm -hmm. it was somebody who dreamed about working with a particular kind of client, doing a particular kind of thing, they would not have gone after that other opportunity. Right. You know, it, it goes, yeah, it goes back to, you know, the big dream and then the, the closer in dreams and how you're going to achieve the big one. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's just a lot of ways to do it, I think is the point we're trying to make here. Yep. But yeah, the, the, and it's not, it's not you sitting around, you know, like posting, uh, on whatever dribble or behance or whatever the, you know, like hoping <laughs> to be found. Cause like, look how beautiful my stuff is, or look how elegant my code is up on GitHub or it's not about, I mean, yeah, lightning can strike. And if it's not hard to do that stuff, then fine, do it. But sort of like 
this almost hurts to say because I w- it's, I'm totally describing myself in my like late teens and early 20s, but like waiting to be discovered isn't going to happen. Like, or it's certainly not a plan. Mm-hmm. So it's like, just, just pick, like, who do you want to discover you? Like pick, pick the person, Disney, George Lucas, Elon right. Musk, you know, like, and like get in their face, <laughs> not in a right. rude way or anything, but like, oh, here's, here's another example. Um, so, you know, there's this band Foo Fighters. I'm sure you've heard of them. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Love them. Love them. And I just, I saw a video last night where, you know, long story short, uh, this girl, she looked like she was about 10, uh, had, it was just an amazing drummer and, and challenged Dave Grohl to oh, a drum yeah. off. Yeah. 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 And Nina, no, what's her name? It's something she, like that. Nima or Nina or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she's awesome. Yeah, she's amazing and, and like just amazing drummer, amazing energy, the whole thing. So, of course, just like made for YouTube. And so she's she challenges Dave Grohl to a drum off. All of his friends are texting him like, dude, you got to check this out. And I'm sure, he, you know, he he he's telling the story that I'm recounting on stage at a concert recently. And he's saying like, oh, you know, I get stuff like this. But, but my friends are like, no, seriously, like this this person is throwing down. And so he engages. <laughs> he does a he does it back sends her the video and she's like, I, that's nothing. And then she like, you know, basically he's like, and she kicked my butt, <laughs> you know? And then, so of course he brings her on stage for the finale of the concert to play their, their one, probably most popular song ever long. And she crushes it. Okay. Was she lucky? Uh. <laughs> no, she was not lucky. I would not call that luck. She would, you know, she's probably like super famous. Like she's got to be, super famous like there's probably opportunities like too many opportunities for her to even consider at 10 yeah 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 or what yeah she's like you know not even in junior high so was it lucky that she became an amazing drummer was it lucky that she decided to create a video and challenge dave Grohl to a drum off i mean that's the thing i love what chutzpah that took Exactly. To do that at 10? Right. I, I uh, Hats off. I bow to her. <laughs> I think she's terrific. Yeah, just fabulous. And she was hilarious on stage, just like a natural rock star, electric personality. Wonderful. So like all of those things, like some of it, you know, maybe genetic, whatever, you know, like maybe there's some a- accident of birth that, that worked in her favor. Okay, like I get that. But if she knows she wants to be a rock drummer... And at, at age 10, she she came up with a way or someone gave her an idea that clicked with her to challenge Dave Grohl to a drum off in public. Mm-hmm. And there's randomness. I think there's there's definitely randomness. He could have he could have blown it off. He could have been like, uh, no, or whatever. He could have been like, oh, there's too much liability to bring a little kid on stage at a big concert. There's a million things that could have went a different way. I don't call I don't consider that luck, really, because. Here's the thing. If if that didn't work out, she would have kept challenging people to drum off. So she would yeah. have kept trying new things. Who knows? Maybe she did it a hundred times and Dave Grohl was the hundredth person she challenged and put yeah. the first one to actually engage. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I refuse to call that luck. That's not luck. That's like you said before, opportunity uh, meeting hard work or whatever the quote was. Yeah. I think luck is, to me, luck is the stuff that we don't even think about, like being born in the U.S., Versus being born in a very poor country with a low standard of living, right? Mm-hmm. Or being born, um, you know, a certain color, depending on which which 
culture you're in. It's like yeah. those things, we can't control those. But yeah. it is that's luck to me. That's just luck. You know, you yeah, came like from this place, I came from this place. Yeah, there's nothing you can do about it. But these other things we're able to influence. Right. Like pick the things you can control and control the heck out of them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all about that. Yeah. I mean, as we were talking before the show, it's we were saying, well, you know, who would you rather help? Somebody who's like, woe is me, woe is me, even if they have every reason in the world to feel that way versus mm-hmm. the person who goes, oh, man, my life sucks, but I want to make it better. <laughs> right. We're, we're naturally attracted to the second person. Totally. Yeah. We want yeah. We, it's like the underdog. We want to see you succeed. When you are right. the underdog, we at least I do. I mean, that, those are my people. I want to mm-hmm. see you, you know, strap on the cape and fly off into the air. Yeah. Yeah, there's a related thing. I'm not sure if it's off topic here, but there's this thing where people, um, people will ask for advice. Like when people ask me for advice, the thing that I want most is for them to take it and for it to work. The thing that drives me crazy is when someone asks they sort of send an email and it's it's in the shape of a request for advice but it's not but it's it's fake it's not real it's like the and you say well in you know given your situation i I can't promise this is going to work but if i were you this is what i would try Mm -hmm. and then it turns an email chain about no that won't work because this and i'd say all right how about this like no that won't work because of that (laughs) and i'm like okay yeah yeah, that's that's really tough. I mean, I'm thinking of a, a number of years ago, I had a woman reach out to me who had written, I think it was three books, and she was coming out with the fourth. Now, none of the three had sold like more than like five or six copies, but she kept writing them. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, I don't know what to do. I, I really think I need to talk to you. So I agreed to talk to her. She was like, I need to hire somebody to help me with this. So we have the first call set up. She doesn't show. Okay. I'm like, okay. And then I get this email going, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, something came up. I, you know, I don't remember what it was. And so I'm like, all right, we'll schedule a second one. I wasn't happy about it, but I, you know, I just, she didn't yeah, know that, but flag. I just, yeah, I did it. And she did the same thing for the second one. And I was like, well, I know why your books haven't been successful. <laughs> and so I wrote to her and said, listen, you know, it's not, it's not three strikes you're out. It's two strikes you're out. It's obvious that you don't care enough about your book. And if you don't care, about it nobody else is going to either Mm -hmm. and and she was you know she was a very nice person and she kind of slunk off and said yeah i guess i need to like rethink this (laughs) but it's one of those things where i have no idea if the books were any good they might have been fabulous right they Mm could have been i mean the fact that she kept writing tells me she saw it as a craft and she wanted to get better yeah there's something Uh, good there yeah yeah probably is but it was i was so frustrated so yeah no i didn't help her in fact, I wish I could remember who she was so I could see. Maybe she's a famous author by now, but I doubt it. <laughs> J.K. Rowling. What? Yeah, right, right. She was in that neck of the woods, so it's certainly possible, but no. <laughs> J.K. Rowling was, was definitely a dedicated writer, no question about that. Yeah. All right, so is there so dream, specificity, and I guess we could say... I feel like, I feel like we could go into sort of a... Um, little bit of a business model thing here as well because the because i see people who have these the first two things they've got they've got the big picture they know where they want to go and they're they have a lot of business but 
they aren't, but the, the next thing that's out of alignment is that they're not capturing enough of the value that they're creating because, or another way to put it is they're not, they have razor thin margins. They're not making enough profit. Mm -hmm. So they're sort of trapped in their business. And I might just be pulling this into my territory because, because it's comfortable for me, but it, it does, it's the next, it's the next thing downstream that I see people have problems with when they're, um, they're feeling like trapped it's because they're in the hourly trap they don't know it but they're like you know i should be i should be growing i feel like i should be working less and making more at this stage of my life i'm like 45 i'm 50 my kids are like you know getting ready for college and it seems like i'm working harder than ever and just treading water so like you know this doesn't i guess the reason what if we we frame this i'm going to suggest a slightly different frame that we put this under and mm-hmm. the, i think the frame because you said dream specificity i think the third thing is action you know because okay. you have the dream you've got some specificity around it and then action and one of those actions is how are you going to match up you know your business and revenue model with the dream perfect right mm-hmm. yeah yeah and yeah i love that so the it's the hour i don't I'm trying i'm trying to keep myself from going to the hourly things then we'll just talk for two more hours but well, um, actually, let's try this. Let's let's mm-hmm. try another look. To, and it's another lens, but I think it kind of gets us to the same place. So uh, I get a subset of people that come to me saying, and they, they're kind of like what you described. They've been in business for a long time. They're not billing hourly. Um, they're billing by a project typically, or maybe retainer, but it doesn't match the dream and the specificity. So they, an example would be a consultant who is, you know, earning a healthy six figures, but it's all through project work. And so they can't relax. It's, it's, you know, it's the gilded hamster wheel, (laughs) my new favorite words. Um, But that's what happens. And so then they, they want to do a shift. And I think that leads us to a business model change, something where it's not just you billing all the time. Yeah. Whether it's hourly or project or retainer, it's, you know, what's the, what's the alternative? Mm Mm-hmm. And, th- and there's there's a relationship here to the specificity piece, um, the self awareness piece, because they can be a lot of times it, they'll be measuring the wrong thing. So like hmm. like they they see they've there's some assumption that they've made that they made way back that they has has been unquestioned, like that growth means adding headcount or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, which is it's this, it's a similar. I, I feel like that's the path into like. What are the what is the action to take? So like they're in the gilded hamster wheel. They're everything else up to this point is like working, and they're like, okay, what actions do I take? I don't know what actions to take because I'm doing the actions as hard as I can, but it's <laughs> right. not producing the output. And it's like, okay, well, question your your fundamental underlying proposition, whether it's that you are billing hourly or it's just project work, and you haven't thought to add something that's a little bit more uh, got more leverage possibilities to it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like we're sort of like it's possible to kind of spawn into a new episode here. So probably, uh, but I do. I love the way I love the label you put on it, though. Action, right? So it's like the dream, and then uh, I'm sorry. In the The action with the garbage truck is just like perfect. We should keep that in (laughs) Tuesday's garbage day. Um. Yeah. So it's dream specificity and then action. Yeah. That's that's totally it. Yeah, that's and totally I think the, the action is, I mean, that's, you're right. I think that's a 
that's probably 20 episodes in theory. Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah, what do you do with that? And I think the frustration for a lot of people is that they get to the action part and they get stuck. Hmm. Because either it's because they have this pre-idea, like you suggested, of, gee, if I want to grow, I have to hire people. But, gee, mm-hmm. I don't really like managing people. Right. So maybe that's yeah, not you're a trapped. thing for me. It's like a yeah. dilemma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's sort of what happened with my first business with employees. I mean, I wanted to have employees until I was in it for six years and went, mm, you know, I'd rather not have to deal with this part of the business. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah. And even if you think you've got it, your needs may change. Your life can change. Um, your kids go off to college. Maybe that changes or you start having kids and things change. So mm-hmm. I think the action piece of this is a really big component of how you're going to make it work. Yeah. Well, it's funny now that we talk about it because we've, we've basically come up with three different words for objective strategy and tactics. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Yeah. So, so if, if, if you're feeling unlucky, maybe look at those, those three things in that order and decide if, you know, if maybe you can make some luck for yourself by getting clear on those three things. It's so funny you said that. I did not see it. And then now that you've said it, I can't unsee it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, that tells me that we've gone around the bend and back again. So we should probably stick a fork in it for this week. No, no relationship to the garbage truck. <laughs> yeah, they'll, I'm sure they'll be back soon enough to do the other side of the street. I'm sure. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for The Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.